We back. We are back. We back. It is 2020. Mm-hmm. And before we jump into it, we have a student guest with us. What? It's got to be louder than that. Who Hi. are you? What's up? It's Kenny. Uh, they pronouns. I work at Mosaic as a cross-cultural... I mean... A cultural programmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm here. Don't forget your name. Don't forget your occupation. Yeah, I forgot everything about myself. But Shit, dang. honestly, same. It'd be like that sometimes. <laughs> I mean, January's long. You know? yeah, January was long. It's been a long. Long as 31 days. Long. Right. It's still not over. I mean, we're but almost there. We're, we're almost there. there. Black History Month starts tomorrow. Yep. So I guess we'll start with the announcements first. Mm-hmm. Um, the podcast for... February will be um, open to the public. That's not to say that our podcasts usually aren't open to the public, but it just means that we'll be actually recording them out in uh, the main mosaic space, and we're going to watch two documentaries, so that way everybody knows the gist of what we'll be talking about, and we'll be joined by um, a couple different guests throughout that month. Um, On the 28th, we'll have three... Uh, black women identified academics, one of which works on San Jose State's campus, two of which are being sent from the Black Female Project in Oakland, their uh, board members. On the 14th, we're kind of opening it up to uh, whoever wants to show up. We're going to be watching the documentary on the 13th called Black Is and Black Ain't. And then on the 14th, we'll discuss it, talk about it, and then be a whole bunch of fun. Um... So I'm going to go ahead and just drop this now. Trigger warning. This podcast tried to touch on a whole bunch of sensitive shit. Mm-hmm. And if you are not in a mental space where you're okay to have these sorts of conversations with somebody, it's fine to stop listening. And Please. just to be explicit about the trigger warning, we are going to be talking about... Potentially talking about sexual assault. We're potentially going to be talking about uh, death. Um, so, those are the things that you might need to prepare yourself for. All right, let's start with lighthearted stuff, though. <laughs> so, uh, you know, 2020 started a solid 31 days ago, and we literally stepped into a new year and World War Three memes. Yeah, that was. That was some shit. Like, I remember waking up and people were like, are you prepared for the draft? And I was like, what draft? And they're like, yeah, you know, Trump killed um, the guy in the Middle East. And we were like, he did what? To who? And somebody okayed this? And they're like, oh, nobody okayed it. He was just like, I'm president. I can do what I want. Mm-hmm. And now we're all sitting here like, right, 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 right. So who's actually going to fight in this in this war for him? And a lot of us were like, we're not. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. good. Other people are just like, oh, if they saying I'm going to war, I guess I'm dodging. I, I guess I'm going to jail. I heard mm-hmm. a lot of people saying that. I'm like, um, Kennedy, talk louder. Sorry about that. <laughs> are you uh, scoot closer? Um, yeah, I, I do think it's worth noting, though, that a lot of what we are seeing on memes and on Twitter are really people in their feelings about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, realistically, 
there will not be a draft. Yeah. Like, this country will revolt before there's a draft, <laughs> right? We've, we've been able to go the last 40, 50 years without a draft, mm-hmm. right? So, realistically, there will probably not be a draft. Um, I think what people are feeling, though, is a sense of um, uh, disenfranchisement by the government, a sense of not being able to have any say in what's going on, or a sense of ownership of what's going on, which is really what the draft was, right? You were just arbitrarily told you have to go fight this war. Don't care if you agree with it or not. Don't care what your feelings are. Just go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what people are feeling, right? Yeah. Me, me included. Like we were kind of, well, I guess not we as a people, but like um, we were kind of thrown into a situation that we had no say or no like <laughs> want in any regard. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's very America, you know. You know, America is one of those those places where they just kind of like we just pull up, and we're like, "Where are you from?" And you'd be like, "Here," and we'd be like, "All right, cool. This is ours now." And you're like, says who? Us, America. Get used to it, and you'd be like, "I don't know about that one, Chief." Yeah. Yeah. Um. That being said, I mean, Aaron, how was your holiday break? What break? <laughs> I went home briefly, and then I started getting mass amounts of emails from my job on campus about stuff. Because, um, as some of you may know, Dr. Barry received a new position at the University of Central Florida as their vice provost and dean of ad- and dean of undergraduate studies. So she started there January second, her last day. Here as department chair after American studies effectively January with January one, and yeah after January one, I started to receive emails about you know, oh how do we do this? Mm-hmm. Oh where are these things located? Oh so what are the plans? Mm-hmm. And it got to a point where I ended up coming home on the fifteenth, and then I ended up working an hour a day. Um, just to kind of get my desk and everything back together. We see new furniture, but they kind of didn't think it was important for the student assistant's desk to be put back together. So I had to reset up my monitors, reset up my computer, get all that stuff situated. And then uh, we'd give our book awardees their books because they had uh, won an award. So the department bought them books um, as a result. And, you know, trying to get everything back on track as best as possible and um it's difficult because if any of you all are used to um joining a new team of any sort you know you have to kind of like fill everybody out you have to see who's good at what so on and so forth but it's more difficult when you come in and you're starting to do these things on the fly like you come in and there are events right around the corner mm. and you're just kind of like okay so we need to get this done how are we going to do it we all don't know. So we're just going to try to stay in communication with one another, see who's doing what with what, and pray that it works out as best it can. Mm-hmm. How was your vacation, Kennedy? Um, my vacation was good. You know, last semester was very, very, very stressful, especially towards the end. But, you know, everybody pushed through. I pushed through. I kind of just took it, took the break as a time to relax, chill with family. Um, I got to come back a little bit earlier to start work. 
start working on um, the new semester, the programs, and yeah, nothing much, nothing too, nothing too crazy. How was your uh, break, Chris? Mine was good. Mine was good. It was um, very relaxing, which I thank God for. Um, you know, I, I saw some family, which was really good. I My immediate family is here in San Jose, but my extended family's down in L.A., so we all went down. Um, as we do every year, this wasn't an extraordinary thing, but we all went down to spend time with my family down there. Um, and we actually were down there for about a week, which is um, about longer than the last time I can remember we've I've had any sort of vacation. Um, I don't know when the last time I had a week off was. Um, or, or went on a trip for a week. So it was it was totally uh, um, a forgotten concept for me about how to pack for a week. Um, but it was good. Did a lot of nothing. Played some video games. Um, watched some movies. Um, you know, just kind of chatted with my family. Um, and so, yeah, it's good. So... <laughs> I have like low key been trying to figure out how to navigate this really raw terrain at the moment. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk briefly about um, Kobe Bryant's legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's possible, but if you you are not aware, um, on the twenty sixth of January. Um, there was a helicopter accident in which he, his daughter, and seven seven others seven others were uh, killed, and um, a lot of people say that it it <laughs> shifted the world, but um, I'm gonna end up addressing that a little bit later on. But I think it's important as we mourn and um, analyze his life to understand that fundamentally he was human and he was not perfect. Mm-hmm. He, he lived a life where he reached fame and um, certain status thresholds early on, mm-hmm. which led to a bunch of great and terrible decisions allegations and things of that nature along the way and first and foremost it's important for us to establish that we don't take allegations like those um such as sexual assault or anything of that nature lightly but at the same time we respect the victim's story and we also respect his part of the story and then we unify them together to try to figure out what actually happened um, if any of you all followed that case at all, it eventually was found out that they had uh, consensual sex with one another, and she was hoping that he would leave his wife. And well, okay, we'll we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. there. We'll get there. Um, I think it's important, you know, just to echo what Aaron said that um, we we're probably going to spend a significant portion of this podcast, meaning for the next hour or so, talking about Kobe. Um, and feelings related to it. And in doing so, we are going to cover as much as we can around Kobe. So that's going to include the 2003 sexual assault case. That's going to include his basketball career. That's going to include 
um, you know, afterwards is retirement. So everything. So for those for those who are listening, um, understand that we will try to touch on as much as we can. All right, let's start from the top. Kobe Bean Bryant. I don't know where Bean comes from. I have no idea. That's his actual middle yeah, name. Yeah. So so Bean. So his father. Do you? I mean. I mean. I don't know how much. Your I know his father uh, played so, so, basketball yeah. overseas. So Joe Joe Bryant was a professional basketball player, um, and Joe's nickname was Jellybean. So Joe Jellybean Bryant was a professional basketball player. And so, as a result, Kobe, his son, who used to travel with him um, to various games, um, was kind of a backstage, or back, I say backstage, because in my mind, I'm thinking wrestling for some reason. <laughs> he, he was kind of a locker room presence. So, Kobe, as, as a child, was uh, kind of nicknamed Bean. Um, so, Kobe Bean Bryant is, uh, is, is his name. Um... I, I, I feel like I want to say, you know, like, for me, for me, uh, Kobe is a personal thing. Um, I grew up uh, in California. I was born in L.A. in, in Monterey Park. Um, and uh, at the age of three, my family relocated up to, <coughs> sorry, my family relocated up to San Jose, and I grew up in San Jose. Um, my dad immigrated from Taiwan to California, and he immigrated to L.A., um, and he attended Pomona for, um, undergrad and he attended UCLA for graduate school. Um, and my dad is a huge Lakers fan. Um, basketball is pretty much the only professional sport he really knows. He likes watching sports, but he doesn't really understand stuff like football and, and baseball. Um, but he understands basketball and growing up, I used to watch basketball with him. And as a result, I was a Lakers fan as well. I was born in 1982. And I remember as a child watching Magic Johnson and the Showtime Lakers and being a fan of Magic and Kareem, um, being a fan of watching Lakers versus Celtics, Magic versus Bird. Um, And so as a result, I was a Lakers fan from a very young age. Uh, And uh, my extended family on my dad's side my aunt my cousins they're all lakers fans too they're the ones in la that we visit every year um they grew up in south pasadena my cousins grew up in south pasadena um one my the younger one's two years older than me the older one's four years older than me so we're all relatively close in age and we kind of grew up together and i i distinctly remember so so um my cousin was two years older than me his name is danny and he this is a diehard Lakers fan. He's he every year he texts me and his brother and tries to get us to go in on League Pass with him, um, <laughs> which we've never done. But he's I mean he's he also could afford it himself. He's a really frugal person. Um, he as he, as I mean it'd be like he, sometimes. I mean he works for Facebook, right? Like he could afford League Pass. Um, but at the same time, he texts his brother and me every year and goes, "Hey, let's go in on League Pass together." Um. But he's a diehard basketball fan. He played basketball in high school. He loves basketball. And he's uh, he was a diehard Lakers fan. He's a diehard Lakers fan. <clears throat> and I remember in 95, 96, 
which would have been when I was a freshman in high school and he was a junior in high school. I remember that summer, he was so excited. And he was like, you have no idea. The Lakers are going to get this guy who's going to transform the team, right? And of course, that was Kobe, right? He, you know, at the time, Kobe was a sensation. He was a high school sensation. And he publicly had said, I'm only playing for the Lakers, right? doesn't matter who drafts me. doesn't matter who wants me. doesn't matter who pays me. I'm only going to play for the Lakers. Um, and my cousin was so excited, right? This high school <laughs> sensation um, who is going to turn around the Lakers. At the time, I mean, the Lakers were kind of terrible, right? It was, it was Nick Van Exel's Lakers. Um, <laughs> they were pretty horrible. Um, and I remember Kobe at the time. And he, you know, was, he was the Lakers, like, you know, he was going to save the Lakers. And he came in and instantly people followed his career. Very quickly after that, Lakers got Shaq and poof, took off, right? Um, I mean, that's my history with Kobe. Um, and ever since, right, as a Lakers fan, have followed him ever since. Um, he's been unquestionably the face of the Lakers. Um, you know, he's uh, probably due to the certain like how how big basketball has gotten in the last ten years. Probably the most famous Laker, despite the fact that it's a very strong franchise, a lot of legends on that team, but the most famous Laker, unquestionably, right? So, yeah. uh, listening to you, I. Uh... His his career started in 1996, and so I was two. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really interesting to think about how I actually grew up mm-hmm. watching as his game developed further, and um, even in like elementary school and everything, uh, he was the one player that me and all of my friends, regardless of what uh, we were doing when we played basketball. I was like, all right, so your dream team, let's go right now. And everybody's like, all right, so automatically we all know Kobe's, Kobe's on his team. Yeah. Of course, Kobe. And we're like, okay, so but who else? And we're like, well, you know, we just got to see how it's going to work out. You know, Kobe Kobe can, can lead the team himself. So do we pick people who support Kobe? Mm-hmm. And the idea at the time was never to surround him with players who can emphasize his weaknesses, but um, I, I'll i admit that I am more so proud of the way he grew off the court. I'm talking about um, one of the last two people to be drafted straight from high school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he took what he was able to learn on the court, what he was able to learn about business, and he developed it into multiple found multiple foundations into multiple endeavors he uh one of his foundations actually sent my best friend to china Ooh. this was during the, the time period when he was um working extensively with uh i want to say it was yami in china and they were um sending students back and forth to learn um mandarin english and basketball mm-hmm. and um It's really it, it's it's a, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's 
um, really strange to watch somebody that you had the opportunity to, to watch grow up and then hear about him being this people person. Like my uh, my old basketball coach had the honor of teaching at one of his uh, training camps. Mm. And he was like, I only met him like two times, but you know, he remembered me. He remembered my name. Mm. And you imagine, you know, you, you being in a situation like that. And it's like, okay, so if he remembers his name and he's just a, you know, what people would consider a regular schmegular person. Mm -hmm. How would that, you know, look when he was in a room full of people who treated him the same way that he treated you? Mm -hmm. Like, what what would that look like? Mm -hmm. What would that feel like? Like, what history do you have, Kennedy? Well, I was... I'm very young. I was born 2000. So um, I'm also I'm born and raised in LA. So ever since I was born, like, he was just there, like he was already big before I could even know what basketball was like. Um, especially back in those times, like basketball players were like celebrities, it didn't matter if you watch basketball or not, you knew who these people were. Um, but yeah, my brother, my dad, and my mom, too. Like, they're very big basketball fans. My dad, mostly my dad, but my dad and my brother are, like, diehard Lakers fans. Like, no matter what the streak was, no matter how <laughs> many teams, how, how many games they lost, like, he mm-hmm. was like, I'm always going to wear my Lakers stuff, you know. I'm always repping the Lakers. And, um, yeah, like, and especially my brother, he would have, like, Kobe posters, Kobe little, like, Laker banners, you mm-hmm. know, and Kobe would be in all of those, like, banners, so he was always in our house, always, like, a big, like, role model, um, you know, people would throw stuff away and say, Kobe, you know, mm-hmm. and, That's like, a, the jump shot, yeah, yeah. like, Kobe? that, Kobe is just part of, like, your life, your culture, especially in LA, like, he's everywhere, there's paintings of him, like, he mm-hmm. was, like, he is, was a legend. Um, me personally, <laughs> I was, I am, slash was a brat. So since my family was a Laker family, I'll be like, nah, I'm not going to choose the Lakers. I'm going to choose this team. Like, I don't know, some random team. Mm-hmm. Um, or I, like, I would like say like, oh, Kobe, like, what about this guy? Like, I don't know, always trying to like push the like people's buttons. Um, but, you know, that kind of talent you can't really deny. You can't say that Kobe sucks because he doesn't. He doesn't. Like he you doesn't. can see, there's facts. Like you watch, you look at him play, and like <laughs> there's no, they're not. You'd be lying. You'd be Ooh. a bad liar. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like he is just such an important person, not just for basketball players, but I just feel like for young people in general. Like he, uh. He always, like, he always strove, like, strive to be, like, the best at mm-hmm. anything. Um, people talk about, like, practicing like Kobe. Like, my vo- even my volleyball coach, like, volleyball has nothing to do with basketball. But they would always say, like, oh, Kobe, like, you need to practice like Kobe. Always, like, practicing, like, little details to to be great at, like, a bigger thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, Kobe is just a big part of my life. So hearing what happened was very, like, hard to process. 
very odd to feel like that kind of uh, inspiration is gone. Um, Yeah, like, it's just weird. Like, it's not like a person you it's like a person that you expect to just be there for as long as they can, you know? Yeah, it's crazy to think that he was taken away. So. So quick. Yeah. I mean, accident nonetheless, though. Like, yeah. and I don't have an answer to the question everybody has. You know, why did it happen? And even it's like the details and everything started to come out. And it's like, oh, you know, it was literally the difference between 20 and 30 feet. And the guy had been trained to fly in conditions such as those. And it was it was literally an accident. Like, there was mm-hmm. no... Yeah. There was no air will. There was nothing. <laughs> no sabotage. There was no, no sabotage. Well, okay. So, part I think part of what makes this hard is because Kobe, legend in basketball, right? We have not had very many legends die in basketball, right? So, Bill Russell's still alive. Um, you know, um, Magic, Johnson. Uh, Magic Johnson. I mean, Magic Johnson's still alive. Magic Johnson's still alive. That's a conversation for a different day because like, we all we have thought, about that. Yeah, we thought Magic was gone in the 90s. He's still here. It's been 30 years. He's still here, you know? Obviously, you know, everyone from that generation is still alive. Bob Jordan, Larry Bird, right? People from the previous generation are still alive. Jerry West, right? So, like, we, basketball as an or as a, as a, as a culture has not seen a death like this yet. So that makes it hard, right? Mm-hmm. It's easy for our brains to start cataloging basketball legends as people who live a long time. And I think whether people thought it consciously or not, you just assume that Kobe, Michael, Magic, Larry, they're going to be here forever, you know? Yeah. And so that's, I think, one, that's what makes it difficult. That's part of what makes it difficult. Um, and two, the nature of basketball causes us to treat basketball players differently than other, other sports, right? Mm-hmm. So... The way I think about basketball is that we have so we have four major sports in the United States, right? We have football, we have basketball, we have baseball, we have hockey, right? Um, and they all serve. And soccer. And right. Soccer. I mean, we have soccer too. No, 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 no. We have a very gendered soccer. Oh yeah. Men's oh no, 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 yeah, yeah. Women, yeah, women's soccer is great. Um, <laughs> so, so, so in those sports, the men's version of those sports serve to talk about masculinity in very specific ways, right? Football and hockey talk about masculinity as this kind of tough guy, violence kind of a thing, right? So particularly if we think about football, we think about hockey, (coughs) there's a lot of body armor, right? There's a lot of gruffness. People play in the rain, people play in the snow, people play in the sleet, right? you're, You're... Uniform gets stained. People like you bleed. Um, all all of the movement that happens in football and hockey is about physical collisions. Is about you know getting through somebody, getting under someone, getting over someone. Right. That's that is what football is. Right. Basketball is is a totally different type of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Right. Basketball is about masculinity as as almost museum pieces, right? If we think about professional basketball, every single arena looks the same. 
Right. Right. It's all indoors. It's right. all under fluorescent lights. It's all temperature controlled. Right. As opposed to the other major sports, in basketball, the athletes are actually showing off their body a lot more. Right. So they have muscles that you can see. Right. They have bare arms, bare legs. Right. It's about kind of masculinity as a museum piece. Right. And more so than football, baseball, or, or hockey. In basketball, it's about the skill of an individual player, mm-hmm. right? They dis- they discourage you from having physical contact, right? There are fouls, right? Um, violations if you hit one another. Um, if someone bleeds, the game stops immediately, right? So um, it's, it's a totally different type of masculinity, right? And the masculinity that is on display in basketball serves for the audience to... Um, valorize the individuals, right? right? So so it's a sport that, that is a lot more tuned to superstars. It's a lot more tuned to individuals, right? In, in football, for instance, there's like, th- at any given time, there's going to be like at least nine people on the field. You don't know, you don't yeah, know right. them from Adam. You can't right? see them. You can't see them, right? You don't know, you don't know anything about them, right? But in, in basketball, an audience member will watch and, and they'll know exactly who everyone is, right? Mm-hmm. So for someone like Kobe... He thrives in that environment, right? He's individually driven, right? And yes, he pushes his team, and yes, he pushes other people. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about this too, about his impact on other people. But the drive that Kobe had could have been in any individual sport, right? If he right. happened to be good at swimming, for instance, he would have been just individually driven at swimming, right? So basketball serves that in in, in a way that the other major sports don't, Right. right? And then similarly, his skill comes off in basketball. You see it, right? Mm-hmm. And it allows basketball to be a place where masculinity is on display as a skilled aspect, right? As opposed to, for example, football, where your position very much determines the level of your skill, right? right. So mm-hmm. like an offensive lineman, even though the offensive lineman may be just as skilled in football as a quarterback, an offensive lineman's credit for skill is only going to go so far. And so Kobe was kind of the exemplar for that form of masculinity, you know, and like the way that basketball puts masculinity on the forefront of like, look at how beautiful male bodies are and look at how beautiful masculine skill can be. Like Kobe was like the epitome of that. Mm -hmm. Look how like amazing they can move. Right. Like. Kobe was jumping over cars and snakes. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was flying. But that... I'm so glad Chris is here because my mind is not... It, it's present, but it's it's, yeah. it's more so on... Just, I played basketball growing up. And then due to uh, a traumatic incident between me and somebody else, I kind of detached myself from it. Mm-hmm. So instead, I didn't really. I stopped following his basketball legacy. And I started following the one, the legacy that he started to pave off the court. And so, while I may not be an actual father, I have a handful of non-biological kids that I've adopted <laughs> on campus. Like I'll walk around, you'll see me with my mentees, and I'll introduce them. This is my child. You know, you see them oftentimes, probably not too far away, because I'm probably coming to help them with something. You know, and the incident hits closer to home because 
Uh, we all know that uh, Gigi was with him on the helicopter. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about legacies, um, we can talk about how um, he was the exemplar for a certain legacy on the basketball court. Mm-hmm. And then when we talk about the legacy he had off the court, that's kind of the one that people are really struggling to grasp mm-hmm. at the moment. You know, on the court, people can go back and watch. Because I did it. I did it the other day. I went back and I watched his last basketball game. Mm-hmm. The one where he scored 60 points. And Shaq was like, I told him to go out there and score 40. The <laughs> motherfucker scored 60. <laughs> and you can see how tired he got. You can see the pain he was in. You know, moments like those, you can rewatch over and over again. But now, you're looking off the court, and you're looking at, you know, the opportunity he had to construct his own family, mm-hmm. to make his own foundation, to impact people's lives in different ways. And part of me was absorbed in the moment where it was like, okay, the same accident does happen, and people are reflecting on the legacy that I built. You know, what what remnants will people, you know, look at? You know, who will people uh, walk up to and, you know, let them know that they were, you know, blessed to be in certain proximity or certain vicinities. And it's just, um, it, it's, it's hard because as men, we don't talk about our legacies as things or as, um, being interconnected as anything beyond, you know, being able to go steep, steep from your genitals. You know, you have kids, that's your lineage. Hopefully your child does something that makes you as a person proud and mm-hmm. then you never have to justify that to anybody besides yourself. And um, I am proud of all my, all my kids. I'm proud of all my friends. And... You know, I think that in hindsight, people, as much as we want to judge his off-the-court legacy, it's something we should be proud of. Mm -hmm. Because he he managed to garner some level of Mm self-awareness to be influenced not only by his daughters and his wife, but to sit there and reach a point where he realized that his daughter and his partner had the capacity, mm-hmm. despite what society may have thought of them, to do amazing things. Mm-hmm. A society would tell him, oh, you need to have a boy, you need to carry on Lacey, and Gigi would be like, nah, mm-hmm. I got, I got this. this. Yeah. I got this. And it's like, okay, so do we as a society care more about what he did for us on the court? Or do we want to be able to look at his life as a whole? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we... How do we sit here and take the good and the bad and the ugly and say this man mm-hmm. led the life he was meant to lead mm-hmm. and we allow ourselves to have that same grace mm-hmm. this is difficult mm-hmm. what I what I think is cool about off court Kobe um, non basketball Kobe and a little bit of basketball Kobe too because you really can't separate the two that yeah. well but what I think is cool about Kobe is that he um, he wasn't just resigned to supporting his daughters because he happened to have daughters. He was a guy who, at some point in his life, realized that he has something to learn from everybody. 
and that he had something to teach to everybody, right? It's like it's it's like a it's a, a two way road. Right? And so he was the type of person that said, you know what? Like, even though my life in its in its view is consumed by basketball, right? I'm I'm still going to treat the fact that everyone around me can be experts in something, right? And I have stuff I can learn about leadership, about teamwork, about harmony, peace, power, prosperity from various people, right? Whether they're coaches, whether they're in his lives, whether they're celebrities, whether they're reporters. One of the things that always happens whenever anyone passes away is that people start telling these stories, right? And one of the big stories that's come out about Kobe is that there's so many people who have said, yeah, I never thought he knew my name. I never thought he knew who I was, right? I'm not really in a circle. And then one day I just get a phone call from Kobe where he goes, you know, I really want to talk to you about X, right? Whether it's teamwork, leadership, whether it's, you know, cooperation, whether it's harmony, whether it's peace, whether it's, you know, they, they, you can see them, like, they're coming out. You can see dozens of stories now, right? And he will just sit and have this conversation. And it's this incredible awareness of, like, this is not about um, treating people's strengths as transactionary items. This is about appreciating the fact that people with strengths have something to teach you, mm. right? And that was going to be the incredible part of Kobe's legacy, right? That was going to be what elder statesman Kobe was going to be able to offer, right? And this, like, collection of skills, right? Mm -hmm. And this ability to say, oh, you may not know anything about basketball, but we have hours worth of conversation Mm -hmm. that we need to have still. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciated how, like, he never felt like he couldn't learn something. Like... Mm -hmm. He was multilingual. I don't know all the languages he knew. I, like That was always like, yeah. if you weren't talking about Kobe being a basketball player, they always mentioned how he knew all these different languages. Mm-hmm. And then like, if he said something wrong or he messed up in some way, he was able to learn how, learn what he did wrong and mm-hmm. then learn, like actually show his improvement in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is very important for a lot of people to take. If you don't take the basketball skills from him, at least take that. Like, Mama you know, mentality. Yeah, like you yeah. always have something new to learn. Like you said, everybody has something to teach one another. So let's transition to 2003. Yeah, let's, let's take a break from being from feeling sentimental for a cool second because I'm like, <laughs> A good two comments away from tears, and let's talk about something else. Yeah, well, two thousand three. I was a whole nine years old. I was a whole three years old. I was. Uh, what did the finals happen? So it would have been early two thousand three. So I was a sophomore in college. Mm-hmm. So I remember two thousand three. I remember the whole thing. And as I said, lifelong Lakers fan, right? So I was right there in the thick of it. Um, two thousand three. The news breaks that Denver police is um, going to uh, arrest Kobe Bryant on charges of sexual assault. And 
chaos, right? Chaos of the basketball world, right? Um, and it slowly comes out throughout the course of um, a season's worth. I mean season as in like spring, summer, fall, not like a basketball year. But like it slowly comes out in the course of several months that there is a female employee, a young female employee at a hotel that worked at a hotel that the Lakers um, had been at um, during an away game at Denver who is pressing charges against Kobe Bryant on charges of sexual assault. Um, and there's going to be a criminal course, uh, case that's uh, going to be brought to court against Kobe. Um, and at the time, I mean... I would like to think I would. I, part of me would love to be able to say this is two thousand three. If this happened twenty twenty, we treat it differently. We probably wouldn't treat it that differently. Mm-hmm. We, we we have not grown as a society. So we 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 can start breaking this apart early on right. into its its microscopic components. Right. We have money, fame, and the two things required for anything to go awry: a black person. And X. Mm. I don't say that like it's, it's the magic formula. We're not making powerful girls here. But when I tell you that you want, if you want to go back and start looking at certain incidents, the ones that get publicized and why they get publicized, you have to have some form of power, some form of economics, a person of color, and X. X can represent anything. Okay, so I want to clarify. We're not here to retry that case. Nope. Mm. That woman is um, living her best life. Yeah, she's out there. Well, okay. I wouldn't say. Let's not say that. (laughs) Look, okay. I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt here. Maybe she's happy. No. So I believe her. I 100% believe her. I think Kobe's at fault. I 100% believe it. Of course. Okay, so. You cannot escape accountability. You did something wrong, you're responsible for it. Right. So, at the time. And I don't want to go through a timeline or a TikTok or anything. I certainly don't have any notes in front of me, so I'm not going to be able to do it accurately anyway. Mm-hmm. What I remember is that the media was behind Kobe. Right. As expected. Right. And I remember at the time, significantly, the, the NBA playoffs were going on. Right. And in a move that I still find kind of weird now, like 16 years later, the judge says that Kobe Bryant is allowed to keep playing in the playoffs while the trial is happening. So, during the course of these playoffs, you have Kobe Bryant, the defendant, in a criminal court, who on a Monday is in a court in Denver, and then, once the court recesses, jumps on a plane, flies to L.A., so that on a Tuesday, he can play in a Lakers jersey in um, Staples Center. And then on a Wednesday, jumps on a plane, comes back to Denver, right? So th- this is going on playoffs. This is like, uh, I mean, I, I don't even have words for this. This is like, 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 what? It's, it's, yeah, this, privilege. This, this, this is privilege. This is privilege. Yes, this is, this is, this is, is the, the part that connects the, the is, economics with, yeah. with, 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 the with the power. Right. This is economic privilege, like, all over the place, right? Um. And at the time, the commentary was not, this seems like a ridiculous way to conduct a trial. 
the commentary was, wow, this is really fucking over the Lakers because Kobe can't play at 100% because he's got to wake up tomorrow and go to court. Um, so every single shot that Kobe might have missed, every single time the Lakers were down during that playoff series, basketball announcers would say, well, Kobe's got this trial that he has to get through, and, and this is such a... Such an inconvenience for Lakers fans, and you know, man, if this is the reason why the Lakers are knocked out of the playoffs, what a what a shame, you know. What a tragedy. The blame yeah. on the so that was such a weird time, and I have to I have to admit, from my perspective, I was a Lakers fan. I was less informed at that age. Um, I have no idea. I can't speak for certain whether I agreed or disagreed at the time. I just remember this is this was the commentary at the time, and I probably was agreeing with it. Like, the, yeah, this is ridiculous for the Lakers. You know what's tragic about that, though? I'm trying to imagine if we're at a point in our society where something like that wouldn't happen, and then I remembered um, the 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 sexual assault case. It was at Stanford, right? With the yeah, Brock, Brock, Brock Turner. Oh, yes. Brock Turner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And while their their skin color may be different, you can still argue that the privilege in both of those cases yes. mirrors yeah. one another. Which actually the Brock Turner thing even more privilege, right? Because it's not like Brock Turner is considered a world class athlete, right? Nope. It's because yeah, he he's a yeah. regular he was, he was a sports college he was a college, he was college. He was a college, he was a college athlete. Yeah. Yeah. College swimmer. And the judge was like, Whoa, this will ruin his scholarship. Yeah, gosh, like this will ruin his scholarship, this will ruin his, his future career. And the judge even then is like, Oh, well, you know, I'll let you play because we don't want to ruin the Lakers' chances of winning the playoffs. And right. the sports announcers are now like Oh well, you know he can't play the full capacity because he's still worried about right. you know these charges. Blah blah blah. Right. Me- meanwhile, like literally anybody else would be sitting in a jail cell, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, like, like Kobe. If Kobe was a was a garbage man, right? Like he'd be. Yeah. He, those nights would be spent in a jail cell, right? So like, so so weird. Anyway, so um, and I also remember at the time. Not not at that time, but later. Like this was revealed later, I think, to the public. I don't think it was made public at the time, but this was revealed later. Um, the police report was like um, horrific. Like like the police report that was filed by the survivor. Um, like the amount of blood that was there, the amount of like bruising, was horrendous, and people. The public, it was not told to the public just how serious this was physically. Mm-hmm. And people instead relied on a media bias that played it up as two kids were having sex. Right. And, I mean, I don't know about y'all. I mean, I, I've, I'm, I don't have an adventurous sex life. But mine usually don't involve in... Tremendous bloodshed yeah. and bruising, right? Like, so it's and yeah. So, the story that the survivor gave was that it started with um, her being invited out to to party with Kobe and his crew or whatever. Um, her going, her and I think friends too went out together. They all partied, right? I think she was like eighteen or nineteen at the time, right? Kobe at the time was like twenty four, right? So. She went out at the time. They're friends. She and Kobe wound up back at the hotel. Um, 
And they started kissing, and it was consensual. And then he started undressing her, and he started undressing himself. And at that point, she was like, no. And he just kept going. Mm. Right. Um, so that was the story at the time. And what adult Chris knows now about how patriarchy works, how sexual assault works, about how masculinity works and toxic masculinity works, 100% believe that story. Right. Yeah. That that is something that has happened to countless um, non-male individuals in this country by male individuals in this country. Right. right. Countless cases. Right. Um, and at the, so at the time, criminal trial happens, found not guilty. Right. Whether it's because the judge didn't believe her, whether it's because it's a lack of evidence, I don't quite remember, but for whatever reason, not guilty, right? Which is, again, not uncommon in this country, right? Right. Notoriously difficult to get a rape conviction in court in this country, right? Honestly, it'd probably be the same conviction even if they bother to retry it now. Right, so. yeah. right. This this exact same case happens in 2020, exact same thing happens, right? Or when you just look at Brock Turner or, you know, any of those other cases yeah, any, that happened yeah. recently. Mm-hmm. And we're all just sitting here like, so you did it. Right. You, so but, you, you, but we just can't prove it? Or, no, or we anyway. don't want to prove right. it? Right. Yeah, um, it's mostly they don't want to. Don't want to prove it, right? And then the survivor files a civil, a civil case, right? Which... Um, is also not uncommon, right? So, so there are times, there are often times in this country where, when you lose a criminal case, you file a civil case because then you can at least get some sort of financial retribution, right? Also, criminal case requires a preponderance of evidence, or a criminal case requires beyond a shadow of doubt mm-hmm. in felony cases, right? Particularly ones around sexual assault and murder, um, they require beyond a shadow of doubt, right? Which means that whoever's making the decision has to ask themselves, is there any way anybody else could have done this? And you have to be able to say no to that question. Right, beyond a shadow of doubt. Whereas uh, a civil case, the merits for awarding somebody a civil case only ever gets up to a preponderance of evidence, which means is there a 51% chance that this person did it? Right. Um, and if you say yes, then guilty, right? So it's a huge difference between is there a 51% chance that this person did it versus is there absolutely no way anybody else could have done this, right? This beyond is reasonable doubt. World of difference, right? So civil cases often, people often find um, for the person, even when criminal cases don't, right? I always find that concept to be annoying, mm. yet in debate, hilarious. Yeah. I mean, like it's, speech, it's also... And like speech and debate, yeah. comedy. Right. Because all I have to do is just prove any means that is supported by evidence, by the way. It has to be supported by supported evidence. Supported by evidence, right. Supported by evidence. Listen, if you go into forensics and you think you just walk up to somebody and say, hey, you know what? It was like the best clown on the face of the planet. Right. You will get like ripped to shreds. Right, right. And don't tell them Aaron sent you either. But, you know, supported by evidence and like speech and debate, you can say some of the most outrageous things to prove somebody wrong. Right. And you will win. Right. But it could happen, right? But it could. But it could. It could. <laughs> anyway. Um, so... I, either right when the civil case is filed or even before the civil case is filed, Kobe makes an apology, a public apology, right? This is 2003. 24-year-old Kobe makes a public apology. And I believe in the apology statement. This is, I'm, I'm going by memory at this point, so if I get the dates wrong, timeline wrong, I really apologize. But in the public apology, he does say, 
at the time, and I believe that it was a consensual sexual encounter. However, I understand that she does not believe it was a sexual, it was a consensual sexual encounter. And it is the closest thing that any celebrity has been able to say as an admission of guilt without an actual admission mm-hmm. of guilt, right? Like, this is, uh, like, it's still... 2004. 2004. I mean, thank you. 2004. He makes his public public statement, right? And I believe that's the press conference where he's sitting with his wife with this new $2 million diamond ring on her finger for some reason. <laughs> um, which, again, becomes the media headline instead of Kobe makes an apology, yeah. right? But anyway, so Kobe makes a statement where he says... Um, that while I believe that the sexual encounter was consensual, I understand that she doesn't believe that the sexual encounter was consensual, and I understand that this, that um, that is it co- like that it's caused trauma and damage and like all this stuff, right? And it's really like, um, it really demonstrates more contrition than we've seen normally from that mm-hmm. statement, right? Because the statement that people usually have is, um, well, I'm sorry she was hurt, right? Or I'm sorry she felt hurt, right? Or like... I'm sorry she felt that way. I'm, I'm sorry she felt that way, right? Or like, you know, and particularly since this was after the criminal trial, right? So he was found not guilty in court at this point. He could have said, which is what most of these fucking people nowadays are saying, is she's a liar, the judge proved me right, I didn't have to pay a dime, I'm not in jail, that's my proof, right? Which is, base. I mean, that's, I mean, not to bring it up, but that's basically Cosby's defense, right? Like, fuck these women, they're liars, right? Cosby, Weinstein, R. Right. Kelly. So, uh, he makes a statement. Um, I didn't read the statement itself. Uh, any highlights? I don't, I don't think we need to read the entire statement. Nope, it's, a sentence. it's, it's literally three passages. Okay. It says, I also want to make it clear that I do not question the motives of this young woman. No money has been paid to this woman. She has agreed that this statement will not be used against me in the civil case. Although I believe this encounter between us was consensual, I recognize now that I did not, that she did not, and does not view this incident the same way I did. After months of of reviewing, discovery, listening to her attorney, and even her testimony in person, I now understand how she feels that she did not consent to this encounter. Hmm. Which is, you know, like, even that statement, I think um, a PR specialist would tell you, don't don't fucking even say that. Right? Like, <laughs> that's too much. Mm-hmm. Right? Again, not making excuses, right? Not making justifications. But just trying to talk this through, right? Mm-hmm. And then... 16 years goes by, not a single news story has ever broken about another person. There's not, in the last 16 years, there's never been another person who has come forward and said, Kobe Bryant raped me. Which, to me, tells me one of two things. Either he kept doing it and he just got real good at hiding it, or... He didn't do it again, right? And the fact of the matter is, there are a lot of NBA conspiracies that I kind of do believe in, but this is not one of them. NBA conspiracies. 
Yeah. yeah you what, ever heard of a, a being conspiracies? No. Oh, God. Okay, well, so... We're we going to take a time out from this Toby conversation. I need... I need <laughs> okay, now. okay. Three big ones. One, uh, the Tim Donaghy uh, uh, corrupt ref story, right? So, Tim Donaghy in 2001, 2002, um, fired from being a referee and comes forward and says that the NBA... Um, is uh, telling referees to fix games in order to mm. keep large market teams in the playoffs and get rid of small market teams. Evan, his evidence is Lakers against Kings in 2000, 2000, 2001, something like that. <clears throat> Which, yes, super fishy. I kind of believe Tim in that he is fixing games. I don't believe Tim that it came from the NBA. Hmm. But, yes, I do believe that there are crooked referees and there have oh, been crooked yeah. referees in, in the NBA. Um, that fix games based off of fouls they call, based off of penalties they call, and based off of that kind of stuff, right? Um, and you can, you, I mean, it's it's super easy to keep track of this stuff. All you have to do is at the end of the game, total up how many fouls one team got versus how many fouls the other team got. And you will see there are times in the playoffs when, and uh, Lakers against Kings in, two, I think it's 2001, um, those stats are, are are ridiculous. Like, it's I think in game five or something where the Lakers were looking at elimina- elimination, um, the Kings were called for something like 30 fouls, and the Lakers wow. are called for none. And it's just, it's off the charts, right? Any, anyway, so uh, that's that's a big one, right? Crooked ref scandal, totally believe. Uh, the second big one that I, I do not put past David Stern <laughs> is the frozen envelope one. Have you heard this? No. Okay, so Patrick Ewing... Um, is, is, is the draft that Patrick Ewing's getting drafted. I don't remember what year this happened in. Patrick Ewing's the number one draft pick. He's, he's coming into the league um, and, and is, is scouted as the n- number one pick. This guy's going to change basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, um, David Stern had just changed. He was, he was commissioner. He just changed the rules about how the number one draft pick gets selected. Right, so previously it was um, uh, that... Oh, actually, no, it was before the change. So at the time, the way that the number one draft pick worked was as long as you were in the bottom, like, five teams or whatever, you had an equal shot at getting the number one draft pick, right? So low, the bottom five or six teams just had a had an equal equal shot, right? As long as you sucked, you, you, were, you, were, you were game, right? So that year, of the, of the teams that were at the bottom... Uh, the Knicks were at the bottom, right? Right, and the Knicks were large market team. Everybody else, small market team, right? And David Stern, um, as as a way of like publicizing the NBA and as a way of trying to get more viewership, they did a public um, event where they did the number one draft pick, and it was um, a giant plastic ball, and it was envelopes in the ball, right? And you spun the ball, and then you went in, grabbed on the envelopes were like huge, they were like this big. Um, uh, what is this is what would be what 10 inch by 10 inch something like that they're like 10 inch by 10 inch envelopes they're huge mm-hmm. so reach in grabs an envelope pulls out right the conspiracy theory goes that David Stern because Knicks were a large market team and they were floundering and they needed a superstar in order to maintain the New York market wanted the Knicks to get the number one pick get Patrick Ewing and become a better team so they doctored the envelope for the Knicks so that he would be able to find the Knicks envelope mm. no matter where it was. And the prevailing theory about how they doctored it was they threw it in the freezer. Wow. 
overnight. And so when you went in, you looked for the cold envelope. Um, frozen envelope theory. Okay, number yeah. number three theory that I believe in is uh, the real reason for Michael Jordan's retirement. Uh, have you heard this one? No. Okay. Michael Jordan plays um, superstar, right? Immediate superstar, but does not win a championship. Doesn't win a championship until Scottie Pippen joins the team. Um, and then and then proceeds to win three straight championships, right? Mm-hmm. Which at the time was not an easy feat. Still to this day, not an easy feat, right? right. Um, very, very difficult to win a three-peat, right? Michael Jordan wins a three-peat. At his prime, still. At his prime, right? And then, tragically, his father passes away. And he announces, due to the tragedy of my father passing away, I'm going to be retiring from the gym of basketball. I will instead be playing baseball for <laughs> Chicago, right? Um, join oh, yeah. Chicago's farm league, right? The Chicago Barons. Proceeds to prove that he is not actually a good baseball player. Plays for a year, two years, a year and a half, something like that, for the Barons. Uh, quits baseball and announces gleefully, I am back in basketball. Mm. Comes back to the Bulls and then in the following season proceeds to lead the Bulls to another three-peat, right? Um, the prevailing theory, conspiracy theory around why this two-year gap exists is not because Michael Jordan was grief-stricken over the death of his father, but actually that he was hit with a hidden, um, <coughs> um, what do you call it? Um, not a ban, but when you like temporarily expel somebody. Suspension. Suspension, thank you. He was hit with a, a secret suspension by David Stern due to gambling charges. Michael Jordan, notorious gambler. Right. Notorious gambler gambled uh on he gambles on golf. Like, I mean, this is open this is not a secret. Like everybody knows. Michael Jordan, notorious golf gambler, gambles all the time. Michael Jordan also highly paid athlete, money to burn, right? The conspiracy goes that due to his quote-unquote, uncontrollable gambling, finally, David Stern hit him with a year-long suspension. And instead of having to announce that he has to suspend Michael Jordan for a year, allows Michael Jordan to do something else for a year to serve his suspension and then come back later to play basketball. I love NBA conspiracies. Okay. <laughs> All right, back to back Kobe, to Kobe. Please. I do not think the NBA is powerful enough to keep... Multiple possible sexual assaults out of the news. Mm-hmm. It's just not. It doesn't make sense, right? Like because because right. They, I keep coming back to Cosby. When Cosby did it, of course the public didn't know, right? But it right. was an open secret in comedy, right? Mm-hmm. That's why Hannibal Burris was able to say it, and everybody was like, "Yeah, he's right," right? Like it was an open secret in comedy, right? If this was happening, it would be an open secret in basketball, right? right. There's no way you keep large news away from this many people, right? So, I, 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 you know, like, so in my mind, what I think is this thing happened in 2003, and Kobe, as is his way of doing, way of doing things, mm-hmm. actually learned, mm-hmm. right? And proceeded to spend the next part of his life trying to atone for this thing, right? In his way, right? Right. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm at about this thing. I can I can live with that. I can see that, but you know, you never know. You never know. You never know. With you never know. You well, know. we're never gonna know now, but yeah. Or at least yeah. And I and mean, and I say this, and I don't want to make the caveat. This is not to minimize the tra- trauma, or to minimize the experiences 
that not only this individual faced in 2003, but that sexual assault survivors face every day, right? This is not to say that that trauma is not real and that she wasn't really a victim or that, that she wasn't really harmed. Of course she was. And, like, I believe her and everybody should believe her. And we should stop doing this bullshit when we don't believe people. Um, this is to say that at what point is there a point that we allow somebody to come back? Right? Do you say, because you did this thing, you are forever gone? Or do you say, because you did this thing, you have to show some sort of contrition before you come back? What does that even look like? I think it's a it's it's a nice narrative for what accountability actually is. Mm-hmm. As society, and I see this on Twitter all the time now, you know, when we mourn people, they start to dig up your past and everything. But I think that's important to understand that the trauma everybody experiences is valid. Mm-hmm. We as a society have no right to sit here and place our judgment mm-hmm. on situations that do not pertain to us. Mm-hmm. So whether or not um, the young lady involved in the trial um, forgave him and whether he forgave himself completely different. But if he decided that he wanted to spend the rest of his life atoning for what he did and making sure that his daughters would not experience anything like that, so on and so forth, mm-hmm. then... That was his means of atoning for that. Mm-hmm. And we as a society don't get to have our judgments about that. Mm-hmm. Like, at the end of the day, you know, we're not in the nitty-gritty of that. Mm-hmm. As much as we all want to be in other people's business and be like, oh, you know, I'm glad somebody out there has the worst than I do, blah, blah, blah. If your home is not put together, then going over to judge somebody else's house... It's like walking into your own house full of mirrors. Mm-hmm. So all you're doing is secretly judging yourself. Mm-hmm. Especially if you don't know how to forgive yourself either. Mm-hmm. You don't know how to let go of that pain or that trauma. And that's not to try to minimalize any of it. Mm-hmm. Please understand when I say that. You know, there are a lot of people who don't know how to speak hurt, who don't know how to speak trauma, who don't know how to even address their own wounds or the wounds they inflict on themselves and others. But... As a society, if we're going to try to judge or point fingers, mm-hmm. you have to keep in mind that old uh, that old grade school thing that your professor, <laughs> that te- your teacher used to tell you all the time. You know, when, when you, you point, point one, one finger, finger, you got three back at you. And you, you are still pointing something at yourself. Mm. Yeah. None of us are are extraordinary. You mm-hmm. know, if somebody starts digging into all our past, there would be something. Mm-hmm. There'd be incidents, you know, where, you know, you said something that you can't take back. Mm-hmm. Where you hurt somebody, you didn't even know you hurt that person because they haven't even told mm-hmm. you yet. Mm-hmm. So on, so forth. Um, Outcast said it best, and we can wrap up after this, but please, please don't act like your shit don't stink, okay? Because mm-hmm. roses really smell like boo boo. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, honestly, like, I think, um, I always think like you, I always tell myself you can never really control what other people 
think about you, what other people are going to say about you. You can always just control how you live your life, how you think about yourself, how you move forward. Um, so if he, if that somebody could say like, oh, I apologize for doing this thing. I'm working on doing better. But you also have to realize that and also in this case, like he really affected somebody's life. That shit stays with you forever. Mm. People have different ways of dealing with it, but you can't ignore what happened, you know. Um, so if somebody if he's doing all this work to like, you know, prove that he's learned and prove that he's living a better life, he also has to accept that people are still gonna say, like, hey, you did this to me like you have to remember like you did this and that's not something that you can just forget by just working you can prove you can Mm -hmm. it's all up to that one person so a lot of people were saying like oh he like i definitely think that when people uh pass away you def I, i personally i feel like i need like, people should, like, have a period of just, like, respect, I guess, and, like, mourning and just kind of... I put respect in quotation marks, whatever you want to say. Um, you have to acknowledge that whatever this person's legacy, whatever positive uh, um, influences that person left, but also, like, you can... Like, there after a certain point, you do need to criticize some of the choices that that person made um you know he yeah he did he did a bad thing and as we talked about it in his little statement it seems that he has learned from that so i think in any case like you have to learn from that but also remember that you did do that you can't just ignore it you can't push people aside when it well well, i already i'm atoning for that like i'm making myself better like don't don't mention that like no (laughs) that that's still that's still a big part of somebody's life um but definitely it's it's okay to critique people Mm. but also uh remember that people are hurting from whatever happened but definitely yeah i do want to you have to hold people very much accountable they're still accountable throughout your life right they're accountable but you're also allowed to allow somebody to forgive themselves right. like you don't have yeah. to keep bringing things back up but you can still so oh you know yeah I think you definitely can forgive people but you know you still have to live with the fact that you did a right. horrific they thing they have to live with what they did right and I want to say too um that um I don't disagree with Kennedy and at the same time, if you as an individual, when you heard the news, your first thought was, for whatever reason, your first thought was the rape or sexual assault case, um, that's fine, too. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't have a connection with Kobe, if you yeah. yourself are holding on to trauma or have trauma around that, if you have friends who have trauma, you're helping support them, that's fine. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I don't agree with the people who say, like, there's an appropriate or inappropriate time for things. That's not... I don't want to, I don't want to be on that bandwagon. Um, um, so that, that that's not the communication. The communication is, you know, you deal with your shit the way you want to deal yeah. with your shit, right? Yeah, because, like, even, like, when I first saw it on my timeline on Twitter, like, 
probably the next couple of tweets I saw somebody like talking about the situation and I'll be like, wow, like I personally didn't know about it until mm-hmm. like uh, the day that he passed. But like, even though I was going to be mourning personally, like I still understood like, okay, like that is this person's life and that's how they want to deal with it. Like they still have the right to be able to speak and criticize whatever right. he did. Cause you know, that's, <laughs> That's their life. You know? yeah, they I mean, still have to live with it whether he's alive or not. Right. It's part of the truth of all of our experiences. Yeah. Right? And, and what we know from social justice, what we know from critical race theory, what we know from all these things is that there are multiple truths. Right? We all mm-hmm. have our own truths. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to say that somebody's truth is invalid. That's not, yeah. that's that's not, not, our, that's not our place. No. And we probably would never do that. Yeah. Well, well, that's such a final statement. When you say that shit out loud, you're like, well, what's next? Um, we are in Black History Month we are Um, the the growing trend currently is to have either um, 8 seconds of silence or 24 seconds of silence both representing his number um, when he played basketball but what I do ask people to do is um, when you decide to write about this please start putting his daughter's name Mm -hmm. before his Mm -hmm. Um, please start trying to remember the name of everybody involved as well. Mm-hmm. All these lives held the same value. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, I don't know how anybody else feels about it, I feel like when you say Kobe and his daughter, or Kobe, Kobe Bryant and Gigi, blah, 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 it kind of overshadows because his name itself carries a bunch of weight. She was building a legacy herself but she was so human just like he was and I'm glad they got to be together in their final moments I'm glad that he held on to her the way that he did um please stop waiting and get people the roses if you know somebody who does tremendous things let them know that you're proud of them um start giving your friends hugs and um I forgot the news anchor's name ESPN the day that it happened but you have a beef that you're holding on to. You have some grudge you're holding on to. And it's something that's, in hindsight, minuscule. You finally do all the, the self-awareness for it. Please let that shit go. Shaq had Allison. Shaq said that, that when he heard the news, I mean, the day he heard the news, he didn't do anything. He was sick. Like, I mean, his heart was sick. Um, but... That in the intervening days after, he started calling people, people he had beef with, people he hated in the league, people who hated him, and he called them to tell them, you know what, none of that's important, mm-hmm. you know, life's too short for that yeah. stuff. There was somebody who was like, what, the day it happened, it's like, I feel like the world just paused, and like, I kind of feel like when that stuff happens, like, you, you really do just like pause and think like, are some of the things that I'm arguing with this person really important right now? Or like, pause and did I tell this person that I love them today? Did I call this person? Did I tell them I appreciate them? Just like pause and like collect yourself, regain like your sense of community foundation with the people that you surround yourself with. I'm glad you mentioned that. I had mentioned we were coming back to that statement earlier. So now I can finally conclude with this. Um, there have been a lot of people saying that his death shifted the world. And if you want to feel like it shifted something in you, 
then start taking these people off the pedestals you put them on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've been reading a lot about people saying, oh, you know, the good, the bad, the whatever, you know, the good go too soon, the bad stays around. But ultimately, um, take these people off these pedestals, <coughs> allow them to be human, and celebrate them. Celebrate them in their entirety, because that's well and truly what they deserve. And when, you know, we all go, hopefully, you know, that's what somebody does for us. <coughs> um, <coughs> final remarks? No, I think that was good. All right. Well, my name is Aaron. Kenny. And Chris. And um, as I keep telling people to pull my tombstones, I'm just here so we don't get fined. <laughs> Stay safe, y'all. Cool. Uh, thanks. See you soon.